Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And this is episode number 16, in which we will be discussing series versus standalones. And then in the second half, we're going to be um, comparing two childhood classics, Winnie the Pooh and The Wind in the Willows. So, Simon, how are you? Well, I'm good, apart from because I'm me, I'm getting a cold. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, it's been a solid, like, six weeks since the last one, so I feel like I'm doing pretty <laughs> well. <laughs> I think I just have the immune system of... I can't think what has a bad immune system, but I'm a vegetarian, <laughs> basically. So. Don't have uh, enough protein. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is. I, I, I would have been great in, you know, Vic, I could have been a great Victorian woman who could just take to her bed for, you know, <laughs> six months of the year or something, and I would have been fine. But as it is, I have to leave the house every day. <laughs> I know, it's depressing, isn't it? I, I think I'll probably get one soon, because we've just gone back to school, and probably around week three it will come. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 But I'm I'm enjoying currently reading lots of 1938 books. By the time this podcast goes out, 1938 Club Week will be over. But um, as uh, as we record, I am knee deep in another childhood classic, or should be a classic. I'm not sure if it is. Um, The Children Who Lived in the Barn by Eleanor Graham. Have uh, you read that? Yeah. Have you read that, Persephone? I have indeed, and I liked it very much. Yeah, it's fun. I'm enjoying it. Good. Um, it's more sort of Famous Five style reckless parenting, but you know. <laughs> oh, I just love books like that where the parents just disappear. And like you're twelve, you can look after yourself. You're fine. You can look after all your siblings and make sure everyone gets to school. It's no problem. <laughs> social services. <laughs> yes, and I'm, well, social services tried to get involved. In fact, but they're obviously the baddies. <laughs> yes. They should just let the kids live. And well, the question I have, which is not the sort of question I'd normally like to ask. What bathroom facilities are these children using? That's never, it's not been cleared up yet. Where, where are they doing the necessaries? <laughs> I love how stuff like that's just skated over. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to know that. It's not important. Yes, they've got a beautifully whitewashed wall, so that's all they need. Yeah. <laughs> what are you reading at the moment? Well, um, I've just finished The Blessing by Nancy Mitford. Oh, yes. Um, I had about six books on the go at once, and I've kind of been trying to frantically finish them off. So I finished that one, which I enjoyed, but I didn't love it. It's not my favourite Nancy Mitford. Um, and I'm halfway, well, no, nearly finished, actually, Dorian Gray, The Picture of Dorian Gray, Oscar Wilde, mm. which, do you know what I'm finding? I'm not going to say too much about it, because I know this is going to come up in future, Simon. Um, but I am finding it a little bit heavy on the one-liners, which I think is... <laughs> um, it feels like it should be dramatic and it's not. Do you know what I mean? In terms yeah. of it should be a play and it's not. Um, yes, are we going to discuss him next week? We didn't decide that. Shall we do yes, that? Let's do that. Yeah. Let's let's do it next week. I thought we had decided that. Oh, yeah, had we? That's awesome. what we'll do. <laughs> um, oh, we did, we'll do it yeah. now because I've actually read something. Um, yes, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back. We'll circle around to that later, but carry on. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't think what else I've just finished. It's all, and I've just finished. Oh, I finished a really good, actually. Um, pe- Green Penguin um, it was absolutely falling apart I borrowed it off a friend because I was around her house and I needed to get the train afterwards and I didn't have a book so I was like Can I, I just need to borrow something um, and it's called The Case of the Constant Suicides by John Dixon Carr who turns out to be quite um, a prolific mystery writer yes um, I feel I could... like, yeah you should have heard of him I think yes I think I read about him in Martin Edwards' um, book, The Golden Age of Murder, where he went through lots of people. But I don't think I've... Well, I said I haven't read any. I don't think I've even got the, any. The Hollow Man is his most favorite, famous one, apparently. Okay. I looked up online. But really, really good book. And just really enjoyable. And everything that you'd expect from a green penguin. As in, you don't really care about the people who die. <laughs> set somewhere nice. And there's a convenient love story, which is just great. So oh, I enjoyed that too. So highly recommended. Oh, that's yeah, a good title. I like it. I know. I mean, when it, when it says constant suicides, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> um, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've got anything lined up for when I finish. I mean, obviously, I've got a million things lined up, but nothing specific lined up for when I've um, finished The Children Live in a Barn. So, um, I wonder yeah, if you had a list to... of 1938 novels. Well, I have just finished Young Man with a Horn by Dorothy Baker, um, which is sort of a, a very um, a, well, pseudo-biography of a trumpet player, um, which, up until the moment I started writing a review of it, I thought was a real person. Then turns out it's not, but then turns out maybe loosely based on someone called 
Bix Beda Becker, which is an astonishing name. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm very confused, essentially. So I, I've done that one, and I, I was toying with trying to read one of the new British Library crime classics. Um, I think it's Antidote to Venom. Um, oh, yeah, I've seen that one, yeah. Yeah, I think that's 1938, so yeah. thinking maybe that. Um, it's only Tuesday, isn't it, when yeah. we're recording this? So I've got, got well, right, Simon, you've got time. I've got time. And... Um, I have a whole weekend of reading ahead, in fact, on the other side of it, so I could I could blitz another couple. I'm sure you could. <laughs> I think you can manage. Thank you, I appreciate that. Well, <laughs> faith in you, Simon. You're such a fast reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, shall we segue yeah. non-seamlessly into our first topic, um, which I, in fact, shamelessly stole from the Reading the End podcast, which they talked about... I don't know if they, they pitted them against each other in quite this way, but they did talk, talk about um, series and standalones. I'd never really come across the term standalones before, hearing that, in fact, but I thought it was very useful. Yes. Um, well, why don't you... Because I want to drink some water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll get started then. Um, funnily enough, we were actually, I was actually talking about this with um, some of my students today, because we were... Um, doing something called Freitag's Triangle, which is theoretical concept of plots in literature. Is it? It is. <laughs> and it's. They, we, I was saying, right, pick the last book you read, and we're going to put the plot of your book into the triangle. And the last thing on the triangle is is the resolution. And loads of the kids were like, oh, but I can't. I, my book doesn't have a resolution because it's in a series. And uh-huh. I was like, right, okay, well that's interesting but not quite right because every book has an ending like everything there is an ending to a story and they're like no there isn't because it carries on and the story carries on and I was like well but imagine if you'd read it as a standalone book and they were like well you can't read a a book in a series as a standalone book and I was thinking well can you and then I thought this is going to be very useful for tonight Ah, perfect yes because and then I thought well actually the only series that I've read that's actually like everyone has read. Um, actually, no, I've read, well, I've read one that isn't finished yet because Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies, but I haven't, that she hasn't published the third one yet. Um, and the Hunger Games trilogy is the one I've read that everyone's read. Except me. <laughs> um, and I was trying to think, could you pick the second or the third one and not have read the others? And I really don't think you could. So um, I think in that respect, that's something that bothers me about series books is that you can't really like you can technically read books that are in a series that aren't the first one but I mean it's not like Enid Blyton used to do with Famous Five where she gives like this three page long introduction to the Famous Five in every single Famous Five book just in case you haven't read the other ones, <laughs> which gets a bit tedious when you have read the rest of the Famous Five but you don't tend to get that um kind of it's a bit like on a tv series and they're like previously and they do <laughs> that bit at the beginning you don't tend to get that in books in series books anymore so that's something that frustrates me with series is that you can't just go in at the second of the said you have to start at the beginning and you often have to wait so long for something to happen and i get frustrated with that like for example the hunger games i read the first book i was hooked straight away it's one of those books that sweeps you away simon is it it is <laughs> Um, and you know it's not the best written thing in the world but I was really into it and then you get to the end and you're like for goodness sake now I'm going to have to read the next one (laughs) you sound like you're stamping (laughs) I was just hitting because that's how I felt I was like oh right you know and I don't (laughs) have the second one on me and I'm going to have to go and find it and then I got the second book and then you got to the end of that and I was like well for goodness sake and then you have to read the third one and then I got to the end and actually it was a real letdown and I thought I have read three entire books Three books. And they're huge, aren't they? They're pretty big. And I'm sorry, but the ending just did not live up to it. And I think that's the problem with series as well, is that you have to invest so much time in them. And then if you do get to the end and it's disappointing, you just think, well, I've literally wasted about six months of my life reading that, Like, which is how I felt when I got to the end of The Lord of the Rings, because it did literally take me six months to read <laughs> the whole three books. Um, there are three books, aren't they? Yeah. There are, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is very rambly, and I'm not really. <laughs> I'm going to break in then, yeah, and um, <laughs> I'll say um, I, I've not read the Hunger Games books, but um, uh, Colin, my brother, um, very much, lo- very much loves the first two, but um, was similarly disappointed with the third one, and he did tell me why once, but I can't remember. So it may well be for the same reasons. Um, 
I when I when I came up with this, I was thinking I don't read any series. I only read, and I've remembered what the Jennies call them. They called them one and done <laughs> for standalone <laughs> books, which I thought was great. <laughs> um, so I read read those, and the more I thought about it, the, the more series books I was able to write down because obviously there's things like Harry Potter, yeah, um, which everyone's read, yeah. and now I feel an irrational anger against children who don't have to wait, you know, two three years between each book, thinking in my day. <laughs> We did queue up at midnight. We did. I was never allowed to queue up at midnight. In fact, my, yeah. my um, well, I think it was around the time the fifth or sixth one came out. But uh, we moved house, and Dad quite understandably decided that it'd be better for us to you know unpack rather than take a drive to the nearest town to queue <laughs> to, to outside what it seems. Um, and then there's things like the famous five you mentioned, and just William books and all sorts, which very easily can be read in any order or just on their own. Yeah. Um, and slightly, uh, I think it's not the first time I've mentioned them, but slightly, slightly less, um, classically, there's Sweet Valley High books, which <laughs> every one of them opened with explaining at length all about Elizabeth and Jessica and the difference between them. Thinking, I know, I know, I can skip these pages. <laughs> I've read hundreds of these things. <laughs> um, and then there are, sorry, I'm rattling through these, but there's, there's, and we should probably talk more about them, but, Thinking there were some really classic John's books like um, Chronicles of Narnia, yes. which are in a series, and I think you probably could read those out of order. And certainly, oh, absolutely, I think those yeah. ones are great in that you literally each book is a, is a story in itself. Uh, yeah, there's definitely no cliffhangers at the end of them. Because, no. uh, you're not I'm thinking, I don't know, will they survive the voyage of the Dawn Treader, etc. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're fine, by the way. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> And at the same time, there is that overall na- narrative going through them. Yeah. But the series book that um, I first thought of was one that I read under Sufferance. Um, so a while ago, probably about five years ago, Colin and I had a pact that I would read the first book in the Wheel of Time series uh, by Robert Jordan, and he would read two books by Virginia Woolf. <laughs> um, I can't remember if I talked about this in the, in the Virginia Woolf episode we did, so forgive me if I did. Um, so he read Orlando, said it was the worst week he'd ever read, and gave up. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand uh, that. <laughs> I mean, how dare you? But um, I read um, The Eye of the World, is the name of the first book in the Wheel of Time series. I read most of it on a trip to Paris, and then about two years later, finished it off. <laughs> it's about 750 pages long. Goodness me. And and during that time, there's a lot of walking, there's a lot of encountering obstacles and overcoming obstacles, and more walking, and another <laughs> obstacle, and they overcome it. And at no point am I thinking, gosh, will they all die? Because I think, no, there's another 12 books in this series. <laughs> They're going to be fine. Um, and yeah, I found it very slow, bet- better written than I thought it would be, but very slow, quite tedious, and no suspense at all. Um but I asked Carla if the others got any pace here, and he said that was the paciest in the series, so I decided that was probably probably me done with, with The Wheel of Time. Yeah. But I think series is something that I connect with um, fantasy series or with teenage books. Yes. Um, and obviously, well, some teenage books aren't the series, but it does seem to be a thing, and I don't know if it's a publishing gimmick or if it's something that just teenagers are attracted to or authors who write teenagers are attracted to that they do want to put things into at least three books and often more. Yeah, I think it's, um, I would say it's definitely a trend in, in young adult publishing at the moment because every single child at school who's reading something is reading something in a series. And I don't know what it is that attracts children to series. I think, I'm, and I'm just, I'm trying to, I've, I've tried to think about this for some time because they're always, you know, like, oh, you should read this, miss, or you should read that. It's like, but there's seven books. And I'm like, what? I'm not reading seven books. Such That's a commitment, it. isn't it? I know it is. And I just think, really? But I think maybe for young adults, there's a sense of comfort in sticking with the same characters. And I think children um, find it quite difficult often to find books on genres that they like. So I think once they've found a story and a character that appeals to them, they really enjoy staying with that character and not having to worry about finding a different book or a different author. Um, and I notice as well, a lot of young people tend to stick with the same authors as well. Mm. They don't really branch outside. And they're quite, I mean, when you offer them something that's similar, they're like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I really just actually prefer to read books by this author. It's like, yeah, great, but there are other people like that person. You can <laughs> um, so I think there is a level of comfort in it. And I also think because 
series have sold so well, publishers are now like, well, that's all that teenagers like. Teenagers like series. Everything has to be series. Um, and I think it's the same with, with fantasy. It's kind of like, you know, there's been a few really successful fantasy series and now everyone who writes fantasy novels seems to think they need to write 10 books in order to, you know, tell a story. Um, I just don't know how people can keep things going for that long. <laughs> I was it, my cynical part of me thinks that a publisher is very happy that if one book sells well, then they've got a guaranteed audience for the next one. Exactly, ones. I think that's what it is as well. And also, there is you know, the trend of making films out of them and having films mm-hmm. that are all guaranteed money makers. So it all ties in. But what do they do if they say, yes, we'll commission a, th- a trilogy, say, and then the first one sells badly? Do they com- do they commit to the rest of them even if they're not no, selling well? well or do they- a friend who is um, into this whole, is in the young adult publishing world, um, and she said, no, they will cancel them. Oh, well, can you imagine if you really loved a book that was set up as the beginning of a trilogy and you could never find out what happened? I know, well, this is the thing. This is why series are bad. <laughs> they make promises they can't keep. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm not against tr- series per se, and I think some stories are great told over a longer period of time and, and wanting to stay with the characters. For example, um, Hilary Mantel, The Wolf Fall and Bring Up the Bodies. I have, I mean, I was literally, you know devastated at the end of the second one thinking well for goodness sake she's still writing the third one <laughs> like, those were really absorbing and there's so much that you can tell about the people in those books that it's justified to stay with them for so long um whereas and do you I- know another trilogy that a loose trilogy mm. starring a certain rector <laughs> in a place called Gilead. <laughs> oh yes, of course. How did I not think of that? Yes, and absolutely the same thing. That's a really interesting trilogy because you can read all those books separately. We're talking about Marilyn Robinson's books, by the way, in case anyone doesn't know. Of course know. we are. We always are. We always are. <laughs> if in doubt, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> um, you can read them completely separately, but what's amazing about them is that they're telling the same story from three different perspectives. Mm. Seriously, if we haven't convinced people to read these by now, <laughs> I don't know what we're... Yeah, can just imagine one person sitting there being like, I just don't know if they like them or not. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Well, I mean, this is in danger of me jumping into another series that I've talked about often, which is the L-Shaped Room trilogy. Oh, yes. Um, which is, in fact, a case, as I, I think I said, on men- one of one or more of the many other occasions I've mentioned them, um, that the series gets worse. <laughs> so um, I, I really like all three, but I re- only really, really love the first one. Um, so that's a danger with the series, that the sort of become pale shadows of the, what you loved in the first one, or or if it concentrates on different characters, that you'll lose the focus. That Which I think is very impressive that doesn't happen in the Gilead trilogy, and that mm-hmm. even though I love John Ames, as we all know, um, mm-hmm. the, the focus on different people in, in books two and three um, just still works brilliantly. Yeah, I think that's the problem with series is that they run out, I think a lot of the time they do run out of steam. And I think you can start off with a really fantastic concept, a wonderful story, a great character. And then I find often, normally after the the midway through the second book, it starts to lose its attraction and to lose its sense of urgency because most of the stuff has already happened in the first book. And you think, well, this is now just, I mean, how many things can happen to a person? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's like in The Hunger Games. It's like, seriously, there's going to be another one? And, then, <laughs> and now this is going to happen? And it all just gets a bit unbelievable. And it feels a bit um, kind of over the top to me. It's like, you know, I'm going to compare this to TV series again. Sometimes you think Downton Abbey, for example, first series, great. From then on, I just stayed with it because I felt like I should. And I was emotionally involved with the characters. But the plot was all over the place because it was, you know, everything that really could and should have happened to everybody happened in the first series. <laughs> and afterwards, you're just kind of scraping the barrel and thinking of things. And, you know, it, it loses the immediacy and it loses the, the narrative thread because you're just kind of thinking, right, OK, I've, I've done all this interesting stuff and now I need to think of something else. And it becomes thin, I think. Well, it's especially true with, oh, sorry. No, carry on. So it's especially true with both TV series or books if the author doesn't know how many there's going to be at the outset. Because yeah. at least, we're saying like Harry Potter, we all know that J.K. Rowling had planned out all seven of them at the yeah. beginning, and it worked really well. Um, but yeah, if some of them think, oh, it's going well, I'll write more, <laughs> or yeah. I'll film more. And I'd be actually be interested to know how many series 
were like that like how many mm. series were actually planned as being series or how many sold the first book and everyone was like hey listen this is selling really well people really love this character let's do something else with them and then having to come up with something because i mean i'm not sure about the, the publishing history of the hunger games for example um but i don't know whether she planned on writing three books or not um and then you end up with things like twilight i don't know what it's called but that one where she just wrote rewrote it again swapping the genders of of, of um I didn't know the characters' names. Vampire and girl became <laughs> vampire and boy. <laughs> um, or heaven forbid, Fifty Shades, where she just rewrote it all again with in the first person instead of the third person or something. Yeah, I mean, some. I just think some of them are are money spinners. The ones that are planned, I think you can you tend to be able to tell. Like Harry Potter, you can tell because there's a clear, you know thread through all of the books and it's building up you know he's in school it's seven years of school that makes sense mm, um mm. others you know other series like you know wolf Hall, for example wolf Hall, the beginning part is before he gets married the second one is when he's married the third one's going to be afterwards you know that makes sense um but others where it's like oh look she's this has happened to this person and then the next book oh now we're back with this person and something else bad has happened to them and it's not necessarily connected to the previous event which it's just the and, same character. And eventually you end up with the the book equivalent of, of Glee, where they're like, kids are at high school for 20 years and yeah, it doesn't work. Exactly. <laughs> like, really? this is, so much like, of my life wasted with Glee. <laughs> I did enjoy Glee, though. <laughs> I regret I everything. The <laughs> there is a sense of, um, you know, pulling it to the point where it just becomes unrealistic to me. Like, I just get bored with it because I think I just honestly don't believe that this many things would happen to a person. And also... Lots of I always find the third book they try and make really shocking, and then they end up killing people that you just think, really, did you have to do that? Um, <laughs> you know, I really liked them, and I've been reading about them for a really long time, and now you've killed them needlessly. That's the Hunger Games, all over. <laughs> um, and you know, just things that happen that you think, well, that's. And also, I, t- I tend to find, um, with especially with the ones that aren't planned, that characters tend to start doing things that you feel is out of character, and things that don't quite line up with the first book. Mm. where things have had to change to fit in with things um obviously i can't fit, think of any specific examples um <laughs> because i'm not a big reader of series um because for me you know I, like i said i'm not against series and i've read many many good ones and i'm always open to reading series of books if i'm if i'm really compelled by the characters and by the story and i can see a need for there to be several stories in order uh, several books in order to tell the story um but i think there is something beautiful about a story that is is told within one volume I think there's a nice, uh, interesting you mentioned Jonathan Carr earlier, because there's the sort of adult version, equivalent of this is the detective novel, mm. where often there is a detective who goes through lots of them, yeah. but they are all standalone. And I said something with like Hercule Poirot or yeah, Miss yeah. Marple. I love that they recur um, and essentially stay, stay the same age over the course of yeah. many decades. I can't remember how much Agatha Christie you've read. Um, quite a lot, yeah. We should do Poirot versus Miss Marple at some point. Okay. Write it down. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, and obviously lots of other t- detective novelists do the same thing. I think that's an, a nice compromise in the idea of a series. Yes. Where you get that familiarity yeah. without the sort of um, downsides of a series. Yeah, I, like a standalone, a series of standalones. Yes, that's what it is really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think there is something lovely about having characters who you recognise and you can predict what's going to happen a little bit because you know what they're like and it's nice to go back to them. But at the same time, it's a different story. And you can you don't have to know all about Hercule Poirot, for example, to pick up a book in the middle of the run of his, you know, I can't think of the mm. order of them, but you know what I mean. You're not going to miss out on anything, which is nice. Yeah, and then you get the people like Captain Hastings and Madame yeah. Arcati, not Madame Arcati, that's Blind Spirit, what's her name? Ariadne Oliver, <laughs> <laughs> who, um, who pop up... Um, time and again and again don't really change i guess that's um one thing so i guess some people who write series pride themselves on how the characters evolve over them which is great but it's it is nice to have someone who doesn't change at all just yeah. popping up it all the time um i was trying to think how modern the idea of of series was because i i couldn't think of many examples from further back in lit- literary history except and i've only read the first one elizabeth and her german garden because there's two sequels to that aren't there or maybe more than two i think there's only one isn't there well there's the solitary summer and there's elizabeth and rugen oh of course yeah there is yeah. elizabeth and rugen yeah i haven't read that um yes 
But would we argue that you could read those separately? Because I think very much you can. Having only read the first one, I'm willing to believe you. <laughs> yeah, Solitary Summer, certainly. I mean, it's it, it adds something to have read the first one, but you don't need to have done. Ooh, I've just thought of Map and Lucia. Ah, yes. That's one which you really should read in order, which is why it frustrates me that the only the fourth one in the series is in print, because <laughs> it doesn't make... Well, it makes sense out of context, but it's so much better once you've read the ones that come before it. You need the ri- Some books, like, like, yeah, you need the richness of knowing the other characters. I'm trying to think of... Um, well, that was a fun case where, where Miss Map and, what was it called, Queen Uchia were written s- separate, as standalones, and then E.F. Henson had the brilliant idea of thinking, what happens if these two women met each other? And that's when he brought them together. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's clever. Um, I'm just trying to think, Simon, of anything that's earlier than that that's a series of books. I mean, look, you've got Sherlock Holmes, I suppose, but they're, mm. um, again, a series of standalones. Um Let's think. Are the uh, Walter Scott novels connected in any way? Oh yes, there's the um, the Waverley novels. I think yeah. are connected, and of course Trollope. Trollope, wrote yes, yes. Trollope, Trollope novels, of course. Um, Even though, although those, I think probably you could read. Um, or, yeah, yeah, the Vasa show ones you could read separately, couldn't you? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Proust as well. Oh yes, of course. Dorothy Richardson going on the pilgrimage yeah. series. Yeah. So yes, I'm, I'm making it up. There's plenty. <laughs> but I think though, no, I think the concept of a series where you have to have read all the books is a more modern one because the, all the series we're talking about from previous, you know, previous generations, like the 19th century, 20th century, you could very much pick and choose amongst them, and you wouldn't be missing mm, much. That's yeah, I think that's probably true. Yes. Um, to flip it a bit, because um, we're talking lots about series, hmm. um, are there any? standalone novels where you finished it and thought I really wish this were the beginning of a series or there were a sequel or something oh yeah loads loads and loads and now I can't think of any um, <laughs> you, you start and then I'll think well I don't think that, I don't find this particularly often I'm tempted to think oh, that's finished I'm happy but the one I read recently that I talked about a couple podcasts ago or more um, The Lark Inez Bit is one of the few books I finished and thought I really not so much I want to know what happens next, I just I really want to spend more time in the company of these characters. The um, uh, Jane and her friend, whose name I can't remember. Um, sister? Friend? Gosh, I need to reread it. <laughs> um, they, they were such... Um, in fact, Ali on her blog, Heaven Ali, just called them a breath of fresh air in her review today, and I thought that was exactly what they were. Um, it was just so fun being around them that I wanted to spend more time with them. Um, and I must say, actually, after I read Miss Hargraves um, for the first time, I found another edition of it that had an extra epilogue. For, it was a 1970s reprint, originally published in 1940, a little epilogue where he talked about things that happened after after the novel. It was only a handful of pages, but it just felt so lovely to have like a little bit extra. So um, I'm, I would love us... Well, in some ways, I'd love to read a sequel to um, Miss Hargraves, but, but I think it's... That novel is so complete in and of itself that I'm not sure it would work. And I think that's what I find with most standalones is that because the author has planned them as a standalone and has structured them that way, that whilst it might be fun to have a sequel, I can't see how how they would exist in many cases. So I'd be intrigued to know which ones, if I've stalled long enough for you to think of some, <laughs> you've uh, wished there were sequels to. Um, I think I was just thinking the one a book I read really recently, so London Belongs to Me by Norman Collins, um, I was so caught up in the lives of the characters. I thought I want to read another book about set ten years later, telling me what they've all got up to and what's happened mm. in their lives. Um, and that would have been really nice. It's because it was the kind of book where there wasn't. I mean, there was a loose plot in that stuff was happening to people, but it wasn't like you know, loads and loads of stuff was happening and everyone was moving towards the same outcome. It was very much different people's lives had different things happening in them, mm. and it was. Um, just very much, I mean, not all ordinary because there is one like court case in it, but um, it, it could have just carried on into another book where you just chart what's happening in their lives and it would have been lovely. Um, and I'm trying to think of something else that I would have liked to sequel to. Um, I can't think of anything, <laughs> but I mean, there are lots of, I think the type of books that I think, oh, I would really 
love to read another one of these is when I've really fallen in love with the characters and the setting and I just think, oh, I really want to know what happened afterwards. But then, like you say, sometimes I think actually maybe it's best that you don't know because it's perfect in that sense that you have left them happy, you've, you're, you're content with how the story's finished and you can imagine things in your mind and sometimes the, the future that you imagine for the characters is probably going to be more satisfactory than anything that the author could come up with. Because um, it's probably going to be different from your perception, isn't it? Yeah, and I think particularly with a lot of classic novels that end with the marriage, you, what comes next uh, just wouldn't live up to the no. sort of perfection of and they lived happily ever after, which no, exactly. I mean, you want there to not be the details. Um, and there's things like something like Lolly Willows, Silver Tans and Wanna, which um, ends so fascinatingly that she's she's sold herself to the devil in order to live in this village and it's a sort of ambiguous is it happy is it not happy ending and it would be fascinating to know how it panned out but but i think at the same time that would undermine the novel completely the first novel completely if there were a second one which took away that ambiguity and that mystery yeah no i agree and i think sometimes with series again it takes away that like for example at the end of the hunger games where she's kind of left there and uh, the first book and she comes back and she realises like her whole district has been destroyed. I think actually that would have just made a perfect ending to the book because what that would have said is, you know, she's what been through all of this suffering, but still, you know, the force of this other place is so strong that this has happened and you would have just been like, oh, the injustice of it. And that would have been a really powerful ending. But then by continuing it on, it's just, you know, what are you what are you actually adding to this character? What are you actually adding to the message? What are you adding to the story? Not necessarily a lot. Um, mm. And I think that's sometimes why some series don't work, because you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm just getting more of the same. I'm not getting anything that's taking me on. Yeah. Um, I forgot to mention earlier, Provincial Lady, of course, is a, is a series, but that's one where... It does add on, but at the same time, I would have... I, the one Robin and Vicky are no longer her children and turn up as adults at the end, I, I still find it hard to get my head around that and think I wanted you in some ways to just remain static yeah. in that book as children. And I love that there are more books, but I also can't get my head around the fact that everyone's aged. Yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, sometimes, yeah, you don't you don't want to to move past the characters from the stage they were at when you loved them. And... You know, because I mean, I know it sounds like they're real people, but sometimes characters feel like real people to you, don't they? And yeah. you have an emotional connection to them at that particular time and place. And you know, I would rather not know that they end up, you know, dying or that something awful happens to them in the future. I just want it to just stay as it is, crystallized in that little perfect bubble. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. So it sounds like we're probably both going to pick the same thing here, but um, I will um, go with standalones myself. Yeah, I think I prefer standalones, but I, I do also enjoy a very well-thought-through series that, that's giving me more with every book. Yeah. Lovely. So that would be my my d- definition of a good series. <laughs> I'm not against them per se. No, n- neither am I. And indeed, a series that I've managed not to mention the first half by trying very hard um, is Winnie the Pooh and the House at Pooh Corner. <laughs> well, what a <laughs> there <laughs> so um the, i suggested that we talk about winnie the pooh and the win and winnie the willows um i'm sure everyone knows but i'll just say anyway winnie, winnie the pooh by a milne winnie the willows by kenneth graham um and <laughs> suggested that rachel go and reread them but obviously rachel's very busy but she <laughs> and is going to rely upon her excellent memory yeah um is it even worth introducing these books? I guess there must be some people who there, don't know about there them. Are people, because I do think also they're quite British books, aren't they? Maybe oh, that's a good point, yeah. So, um, which would you prefer to introduce? Oh, can you just do both of them? Oh, that's fine, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, Winnie the Pooh, and to be fair, to in, in a book versus book basis, I'm only going to consider Winnie the Pooh rather than the House of Pooh Corner, which means no appearance from Tigger. It only appears <laughs> in the second book. That's what it is, okay. Yeah. So, Winnie the Pooh is a story of 
Um, a teddy bear and his friend Piglet and Eeyore the donkey and Owl the owl and Rabbit the rabbit <laughs> and Kanga and Rue, um, living in the hundred acre wood um, with their child friend Christopher Robin and the adventures they have which range oh gosh now I'm not going to remember which ones happened in the first book and which happened in the second book but these things like Winnie the Pooh gets a balloon to go and get honey out of a tree um, and Eeyore loses his tail and all sorts it's great fun um, and Wind in the Willows is um, a bunch of friends again in a forest there's Ratty and Mole and Toad and Badger um, and I guess the main gist of that is Toad going off to prison escaping and trying to protect his mansion Toad of Toad Hall that sounds about right yeah um, so when did you first read these books? um I remember reading The Wind in the Willows when I was very young. I had a big um, illustrated copy of it, which I really, really liked. And my mum used to read it to me. And I feel like I had a, a VHS of an animated version of it. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. I did, certainly. <laughs> and then Winnie the Pooh, I think, it wasn't, I did have a copy of it. And I read it, but I think I was slightly older. Um, and I remember enjoying it, but I didn't love it as much as I love Winnie the Pooh. I think I felt like I was more immersed in the world of um, The Wind in the Willows because it was in the countryside and you got the, the sense of, um, like, Toad of Toad Hall was such an evocative location as well. Um, and I just felt more drawn into the story. I think because Winnie the Pooh is kind of dis- lots of disconnected stories, you don't necessarily um, have that same sense of a, of a narrative pulling you forward, if you see what I mean. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I also just found the character of Toad really um, wonderful. I just loved how bad he was and how much he just didn't care. Yes. Um, I think what makes both these books wonderful is how um, distinctive the characters are. Mm. And they're not all saccharine characters who just, you know, want what's best for each other in the way that... Well, not that I've read many modern children's books, but I get the impression from children's television that I've seen <laughs> that um, <laughs> everyone's looking out for each other and they quickly learn their lessons. Whereas Toad doesn't learn his lesson at all. Yeah, he, he just yeah. what he wants. And yeah. kind of, I loved, I, as reading him as a child, I was like, I love this man. He just, you know, does whatever he likes, doesn't care who he hurts in the process. <laughs> and um, that's what turned you into the person you are today. Exactly. <laughs> my character wonderfully. But I think as a child, yeah, you do read a lot of books like that where it's and Jenny likes to share her toys with her <laughs> children. It's like, I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but sometimes it's fun to read about somebody who doesn't do those things. And also, because Toad is, a, is an adult, and you read about this adult who's very naughty and, and doesn't really behave like an adult, it's something that's really different and exciting for a child to read about. Because you think, oh, actually, not everybody who's an adult does do the right thing. Um, and, you know, you can start thinking about it makes you start thinking about life in a different way I think it challenges your perceptions a bit more yes and whilst I don't think there's anyone who's quite as um out and out naughty in in Winnie the Pooh um there is well Eeyore is my favorite character in Winnie the Pooh um and I have tried to model my life on him as entirely (laughs) (laughs) um that he is morose he's um in many ways, self-pitying. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, you know, funny. So they get that. <laughs> uh, uh, in fact, I think it's best illustrated by my favourite story in Winnie the Pooh, which is, um, and I've just found the contents to double-check that it is in that one, in which Eeyore has a birthday and gets two presents. Which, um, in this story, Winnie the Pooh decides to give Eeyore a jar of honey for his birthday, and Piglet wants to give him a balloon. Um on the way to giving these presents, Winnie the Pooh eats all the honey and Piglet bursts the balloon, <laughs> which shows their foibles. But Eeyore is so thrilled at being able to put this burst balloon in and out of his pot, but he's happy nonetheless. And it still just touches my heart. I think it's a beautiful story. That is a beautiful um, story. And I think that's what's so lovely about Winnie the Pooh stories, because they really celebrate the beauty of the little things in life and what's really important. And they're heartwarming. Yes. Um, and... Also, just really funny. I think I, I first, I think I had Winnie the Pooh read to me, and I maybe read it when I was, you know, six, seven, eight. Um, and I didn't reread it for maybe eight or nine years after that. Um, and coming back to them, I was, 
this is my re-entry to the world of AML that I have discussed at length before, <laughs> discovered just how funny he is. Um, there's so much wit in them, and it's not just he's writing down to children. He's writing about child, children and children's toys and, and animals, but with as much sort of thought and wit as he would do any other book. Yeah. And perfectly complimented, um, I believe both of them, um, by the illustrations of E.H. Shepherd, Winnie the Pooh and Winnie the Willows. Yes, that's correct. So, um, I think my favourite um, illustration in Winnie the Pooh is the one where he, Winnie the Pooh's floating off in the balloon and Christopher yeah. Robin shoots the balloon um, to burst it. And then in the illustration, it's clear that Christopher Robin's only got a pop gun and there's a little cork hanging out of the gun. So he can't possibly have popped the balloon, <laughs> which is just... I love that sort of mix of make-believe and and reality in his illustration there that isn't in the text, but sort of, together it works beautifully to say that these, these adventures aren't really happening. It's a boy playing with his toys. But um, that was a really sweet touch, I thought. Yeah, it is nice. I mean, they are, and they're lovely illustrations. I used to have um, the illustrations on my wall of, in my bedroom when I was little. Um, and it is, they are just, I think they are a lovely little evocation of childhood, aren't they? Yeah, and this is what makes me so wrathful about Disney's adaptation of Winnie the Pooh, because the illustrations. The H. Shepherd did can't be bettered. They're just so beautiful and so subtle, and then it turns into these mad caricatures that Disney, what um, company did, which I know that's not a, necessarily a popular opinion everywhere, but <laughs> I think he just lost all the subtlety of the illustrations and indeed the stories. <laughs> and Christopher Robin is not American. I do not want him to have an American accent. He should have a Sussex accent. <laughs> that's how I feel about that. Yes, yeah. just to make very clear. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's what I also think is lovely about Winnie the Pooh is that it's set somewhere that's very real, mm. somewhere that you can visit. I have been there, as have as you. As have I. I have played <laughs> Pooh Sticks on the Pooh Sticks Bridge. Um, yes, every tree is stripped bare for miles around. It's terrible, <laughs> isn't it? Um, and that, that is, and it is a very English book, and you can imagine these things really happening. And I love how when you're a child and you read these sorts of books, like both of these, you don't think, but these are animals and they're talking. You just kind of mm. accept it and it's fine. Um, and I, I love that use of, of zoomorphism there. And it brings, by picking just the right animals to bring out the characteristics that they have as well, which is really interesting. Like, for example, you know, Winnie the Pooh is this adorable, cuddly bear, and Eeyore is this kind of droopy donkey. And then you've got, you know, Toad who, um, kind of slouches around doing what he wants. And, uh, and to this day, I think I go to a badger for advice. I think this. <laughs> I just think like wise badger, yeah, exactly. exactly. They kind of really have in, inhabited those characteristics, which I think is wonderful. Um, the one thing that I think everyone agrees was a bit of a misfire in Wind of the Willows was the um, Piper at the Gates of Dawn chapter, which you may well not remember, and if it was read to you, probably was missed out. <laughs> no, I don't remember this part. Yes, it's a sort of bizarre, I guess, metaphysical chapter in the middle of it where. Yeah. Trying to think, it's been so long since I read it, but um, I don't think any of the animals are involved in it, and it just well, perhaps they are, but it goes off at this complete kilter to describing the Piper at the Gates of Dawn, and it's um, completely out of kilter with everything that comes before and after it. Doesn't really follow the same plot. Um, I believe a classic rock album by I'm gonna say Pink Floyd, but maybe not, was called Piper at the Gates of Dawn after it. What? But um, yes, it's all very strange. But um, I'm had his reasons, or Kenneth for putting it in there. How interesting. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. This, I, no, I don't remember reading that at all. Oh, I remember when I first came across this book when my year four teacher, Mrs. Wilde, read it aloud to us, and she did skip that chapter, so I only came to it later. I think she told us she was skipping it, which made me think it must be wonderful. I must go away and read it immediately. And I thought, oh, no, she was, she was right to skip it. Probably <laughs> lots of naughty things. I can't <laughs> Yeah. But it turns out it's just filled with um, rather confusing things. Oh, very confusing for a child. Well, I mean, I think for me, The Wind and the Willows, I just associate with pleasurable naughtiness <laughs> and um, kind of picnics and boating and all the things that I imagined um, grown-ups did because yeah. <laughs> well, basically as a child, all I read were, was Victorian books. So I just thought life was like that. And, you know, basically life ever since has been a succession of disappointments <laughs> that these things no longer happen. 
Yeah, I know. Do you want to hear a um, fun fact about Aemon's relationship with Wind in the Willows? Oh, please do. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just got it from my phone now. So he wrote a, an essay in Not That It Matters, which was came must be the 1910s thereabouts, where he was talking about household books and how there are certain books that everyone in the household will love and certain books that he judges people by. Um, and the one that he's talking about in the essay is The Wind in the Willows. And at this point, he says, you'll have heard of the author, you won't have heard of this book. Um, you probably have read The Golden Age and Dream Days, Am I Not Right? He says, um, which were very popular books. But at this point, not that many people had read uh, Wind in the Willows. Um, and may I quote from him oh, at some length? I'm sorry. <laughs> he says, the reason why I knew you had not read it is the reason why I call it my book. For the last 10 or 12 years, I've been recommending it. Usually I speak about it at my first meeting with a stranger. It is my opening remark, just as yours is something futile about the weather. If I don't get it in at the beginning, I squeeze it in at the end. The stranger has got to have it sometime. Should I ever find myself in the dock, and one never knows, my answer to the question whether I had anything to say would be, Well, my lord, if I might just recommend a book to the jury before leaving, Mr Justice Darling would probably pretend that he had read it, but he wouldn't deceive me. <laughs> I love him. Anyway, so he um <laughs> he was partly instrumental in popularizing it even before he later adapted it as a play himself. He wrote the play Toad of Toad Hall that was very popular. Oh. Um so I think there's a nice synergy between the two and he would be very happy whichever one of these books we picked. Whereas Kenneth Graham, who knows, <laughs> he might might have hated Winnie the Pooh for all I know. Well, no, I mean I know nothing about his attitude towards it, but you know, it's quite interesting that they're both chosen to use animals to tell their story. Um, you know, and also both written books that work for children and adults, which is the mark of a true um children's writer, I think. Yes, I spent quite a lot of time at lunchtime today trying to convince my friend Lloyd that Win- that Winnie the Pooh could also be in- enjoyed by adults, and he was very adamant that it couldn't, despite not having read it. Yeah, but, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. The thing is, I think all good children's writers write in mind of this will be read to a child, therefore the adult has to enjoy the process too. Otherwise, what's the you know they're just going to be bored by it. And you know there are a lot of children's books for children that are very boring as an adult, like for example. Um, I reread some Famous Five recently, and I was just like, seriously, I can't believe I used to enjoy these books so much. They're literally all the same. Like every, <laughs> every single thing that happens is exactly the same. It's just in a slightly different setting, um, and so much racism. But um, <laughs> yeah, well, quite. You know, you don't necessarily. I can't imagine that when I was younger and my mum was reading things like that to me, that she was like, oh, I can't wait to find out what happens. <laughs> Um, whereas when you're, I remember like my sister was reading Harry Potter to my nephews and she was like, oh, you know, we can't wait till, till tomorrow and we're going to find out what happens next. And, you know, that's kind of the kind of enjoyment where you can read a book with a child and, and love it too and, and can't wait to find out what happens next. And I feel like with Winnie the Pooh and the Wind in the Willows, you would, you would have that experience as well because it is, there are jokes in there and comments that are designed to be picked up on by an adult, but a child will just sail over their heads. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, they certainly bear rereading many times. It's not the sort of book where it, you know, it's a big twist and once that's over, it's yeah. it's all done with. Um, they're just, they are timeless and so they've proved themselves to be that. Yeah, because they speak about, you know, the reality of, of human life and about qualities that we all would like to develop in ourselves and the, and the truth about things, you know, the disappointments and the pleasures and things like that. And that's what's lovely. Um, and without being unnecessarily sort of issue driven, I feel like there's a lot of books around today that I think all oh, children must be told the truth about things. They must, you know, read about all these unpleasant things that happen. And that can be very helpful for some children, I'm sure. But I think what these, both these books do is manage not to completely shy away from, you know, negative qualities or, or fear. There's a lot of, the, the, when Mole's lost in the terrifying wood in Wind of the Willows, it is terrifying. It's not just him prancing around having a fun time all, all, all the time. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, they're not in any way miserable books, and it's not, you know, looking at the terrible, gritty things that happen. I mean, bad things happen to animals in the wild, but yeah. we haven't seen any of that. <laughs> I mean, we've all seen the animals of Farthingwood. <laughs> so it's, I think, absolutely, it is about a gentle introduction to the fact that life isn't always lovely, but at the same time, we don't need to have it hit round the head with, you know, our poor... Sarah's got no dad and then you know her mum's dead and then all this other awful stuff happens you know I do think that issue driven books are very popular and I think they are a bit too much sometimes 
I think there needs to still be a bit of a preservation of innocence at a certain level. I know we all have to experience the reality of life, but I think you can experience it in a softer way. Yeah. Um, So before we decide which book we pick, which pick a pick a favorite character from both books, please. Um. Well, I think my favourite character from Winnie the Pooh has always been Piglet. Ah. And I can't tell you why. I just really like him. And I like how he's a bit hes a bit bossy, isn't he? Piglet, he's sort of bossy and terrified at the same time, I guess. Yeah. And I kind of like that about him. He's a bit of a contradiction. Um, <laughs> and in Toad of Toad, in, uh, sorry, Wind of the Willows, um, I just love Toad. I just love the audacity of him. Um, yeah, I, I always think that you can tell, well, I always say you can tell a lot about a person by what, who their favourite character in Who is, but I don't know what that actually is, <laughs> what, what you actually can tell. But I'm sure there's a lot there. <laughs> um, as I said, Eeyore is, is far and away my favourite. Um, in, in Wind of the Willows, it's tricky. I think I'm between Mole and Badger. Um, I love the sort of shyness and, and, um, and yet sort of willingness to, in- to engage in adventure when 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 he has to with mold, but Badger is just so wise. <laughs> I feel like he would guide me well through life. Wisdom is such a wonderful quality. Which yeah. I have to love it. <laughs> yeah, so if I could be more like Badger, I'd, I'd die happy. Yeah. <laughs> life goals. Um, <laughs> whereas yes, I don't, there's, there's no one particularly wise and guiding in in Winnie the Pooh, since everyone looks to Owl for that, and obviously he's pretty useless. <laughs> Um, so it'll come as a surprise to nobody who's ever met me or heard this podcast that I'm going to choose Winnie the Pooh as my favourite of these two, but I don't know which one you're going to choose. No, but you know, before we did this, I was going to pick Wind in the Willows, but now we've talked about it, I actually, I agree with you. I think that um, Winnie the Pooh has that lovely, just real... A.M.L. Compa- is a really compassionate writer, I feel. You can really feel hmm. his love for the world in it and for people and for people's frailties and also people's wonderful qualities. And I think because of that, and you've reminded me of all the things that I love about it. So um, you've swayed me, Simon. (laughs) I'm so pleased. (laughs) um, Towards, yeah, Winnie the Pooh. And in fact, I very much want to reread it. And I think I'm going to see my nephews this weekend. So I think I might read some to Albert, the youngest one, and see how he likes it because he's nearly five now. So he can appreciate these sorts of things. It reminds me of a, I used to um, babysit when I was a teenager and um, I once went to the house to babysit and I brought Winnie the Pooh with me and, and the mum, just as she was going, I said, oh, you've brought Winnie the Pooh to read to our little girl. I was like, yeah, yeah. sure, <laughs> sure, that's why I brought it. <laughs> just for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then we read two two chapters a night every time I babysat for her. So that was fun. That's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh, she's probably about thirty now. You're <laughs> <laughs> only just there. I, I know, I know, but she's she's probably twenty, which is equally terrifying. Isn't it awful? <laughs> oh dear. Well, before I get too ill, I guess we should close. Um, but next time we, as usual, don't know what we're doing in the first half. But in the second half, we will be comparing two books um, by Oscar Wilde: uh, The Picture of Dorian Gray and The Importance of Being Earnest. That'd be fun. Yeah. And I'll actually know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> Much more than I will. I've not read it for years. You'll have just finished it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.